Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. You know, I don't know about you, but welcome to the first Sunday of February. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. I don't know about you. In fact, I got an email this week and the email literally said, we're declaring January a false start. Let's go back to the blocks and let's get ready to start again. And I don't know about you, but I feel a bit that way about this year. It's sort of gone really quick, but I then had an opportunity of reflecting about what we've achieved already this year, and it really is very cool. This morning, I get to continue our series looking at Proverbs and the wisdom that's found in Proverbs. We've titled this series, Get Smart, because that's ultimately what we want to be. We don't want to be dumb. I don't know of anyone who says, no, I'd rather be dumb, thanks. No, no, we all want to get smart. We all want to be wise. And in the last couple of weeks, we've had Pastor Danny sharing with us from Proverbs 31 about the church. And we always find that we get smart when we apply the wisdom that we find in the Scriptures. When we align our biblical teaching into our everyday lives... We get smart. We get smart when we choose to operate in the realm of spiritual wisdom, not just worldly wisdom. And so I have the privilege of being able to continue this series this morning. You know, this is actually the first time I've preached this year. I had some leave over Christmas. I took some long service leave before Christmas and then the office shut for a couple of weeks. And we had a really good time on leave. We didn't do a whole lot. It's not like you can fly too many places nowadays, right? But we didn't do too much. We stayed at home. We relaxed. We enjoyed ourselves. Did a few different things. But as my leave was coming to its end, I started thinking about work. And I don't know about you, but for me, that was frustrating me. Because I'm on leave, but I'm thinking about work. And it's not bad to think about work, but I'm on leave and I want to relax. And so I found myself getting conflicted. I found myself getting frustrated. And I think that if we're honest, most of us feel a tension when it comes to our work. We feel a tension when we start talking about work-life balance. We feel a tension when it comes to the stress of work. We feel a tension, potentially even in our finances, about with our work, can we earn enough money? Are we going to be where we want to be? And so I actually want to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about our work. Now, right now, I know some of you have switched off. This is Sunday. This is church. I don't want to talk about work. I understand. Come back. Come back. It's okay. Because what I've realized is that we all have lots of opinions about things. But it's not our opinions that ultimately count. What ultimately counts is what God says about these things. So we've got lots of opinions about work. But ultimately, we should be submitting our opinions about work to what God says about work so that we can get smart and so that we can get wise when it comes to our work. 
You know, we spend approximately a third of our lives at work. And I think we have a tendency of boxing that time. I think we have a tendency of going, no, no, Sunday is God's day. That's church day. But then Monday to Friday, that's work days. Let's box that separately. And yet what we read through Scripture is that that's not the way God intends it. God intends that our one-third of our life at work is used for his glory. You see, our, our faith goes with us everywhere we go. The, the, the Spirit of God lives inside of us everywhere we go. And so we should be taking the Holy Spirit with us in every area of our life, including our work. And so let's get on board with God's program for our work, not just our program. Now, for some people, you may be thinking, hey, I'm at school, doesn't count for me. Well, school is pretty much the same. The principles that I'm going to talk about today still apply. For some, they'll be in this room going, hey, we're retired. Hey, to all the young at hearters. I hope you're enjoying your retirement. But the same principles I'm talking about today apply to our volunteering. They apply to our serving. And so let's not switch off this morning because even though I'm talking about work, and I know some of you switched off, come back, come back. Just because we're talking about work doesn't mean we can't apply these principles to the rest of our lives. And so I'm going to start this morning in Proverbs 24. Verses 30 to 34, if you have your device, your Bible, grab it, otherwise it will be on the screen. And Proverbs 24, verse 30 says, I went past the field of a sluggard. Now, those of you who have been here a little while, I've talked about sluggard before. And I've talked about the fact that I think there are some words that should be brought back. And I'm saying that sluggard is one of them. And so if I had to subtitle my message this morning, my subtitle is Don't Be a Sluggard. Back to Proverbs. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learnt a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. A little bit of context. Farmers and vineyard owners were the wealthy of Solomon's time. They were the elite of Solomon's time. They were the business owners of Solomon's time. And so in one sense, they're actually not that different to you and me. You know what? We may not own vineyards. We may not own fields. But by the simple fact of you being here in the room or joining us online means that you are in the top 5% wealthiest people in this world. The fact that we have a little bit of food in our fridge, a little bit of money in our bank account, a roof over our head and running water puts us in the top 5%. 
And so the question that is being asked here or the, the proverb that's being asked here puts us in the mix immediately. You see, the problems that we experience really are first world problems. And in the proverb, the vineyard owner and the farmer, in their wealth, they had gotten lazy. And in being lazy, they had stopped doing what they were supposed to do. And my question to us today is in our wealth, have we gotten lazy? In our wealth, have we stopped doing what God is actually calling us to do today? You see, it says that poverty comes like a thief. And as I was thinking about this, that's very opportunistic. Thieves often attack when we're not looking, when we're unprepared, when we're just not paying attention. But it also says that scarcity will come on us like an armed man. That's way more confronting. Someone right there, an armed person, seizing your goods. Way more confronting. And so if I had to put this into the revised Bennett version of this passage. Now, granted, this could be heresy. But I would submit to you that in the revised Bennett version, this verse would read a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your wealth will be eroded, whittled away, until the shocking realisation that all is gone. You see, we need to come back to God's pattern for work. And first of all, we need to recognise that work is God's idea. It's actually not ours. When we go back to Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, we have God in his omnipotence, in his power, creating everything, setting everything in order. As the pinnacle of his creation, he creates mankind. And I'm like, yes. I'm the pinnacle of God's creation, and so are you. And then we get to this really curious verse in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place, to work it and keep it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, my first thought is, what the? God, all-powerful, speaking everything into existence, can do whatever you want. You create mankind, the pinnacle of your creation. And then what do you do with the pinnacle of your creation? Surely you create a, a, a nice banana lounge alongside a lake so that we can sip pina coladas and enjoy God's... No! God creates work for us. And I'm like, Why? It, it doesn't make sense. God, you can do whatever you want. Surely if you want those leaves tidied up, just create a wind that's just going to blow them away. God, you created these animals. If you need someone to deal with the mess, make them different. Make them so they don't create that mess in the first place. God, you create this perfect place. Remember, the Garden of Eden. You create this perfect place and you say, Work it. 
I don't get it in one sense. And as I was thinking about it this week, God in his omnipotence, in his power, could do whatever he wants. But God in his omniscience, in him all-knowing, knew what we would need. He could have done everything. But then, in his omniscience, he goes, no, no, the best thing for you is to work it. So if God created it, there must be a godly purpose in it. As Pastor Danny said a couple of weeks ago, what is birthed in heaven is partnered within earth, which means if work is God's idea, we should be partnering with that and not trying to resist it. You know, Proverbs doesn't only talk about us being created to work. In Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 8, it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. See, it's not just us that's called to work, but at creation is called to work as well. And so I think that there's a purpose for our work beyond what we are currently giving to it. You see, I think that for many, work is a means to an end. It's just a, a way of making money so that we can then live the life that we want. I think that for some, we actually have gotten into a mindset of, well, we work for the weekend. We, we compartmentalise. We do what we have to do here so that we can party over here. I think that for some, we've turned it into, it's how we accumulate our toys. It's how we make sure that our life is comfortable. And I'm here to say, today to say, you know what, there's, it's not that there's things wrong with that, but there is a greater purpose for our work. Why? Because God created it. You see, our work is actually an act of worship. And I think we need to redefine a little bit what worship actually is. You see, when we come to church, we know that the first few songs are going to be praise and worship. And so we know that worship is all about singing. And in part, that is absolutely true. In part. But worship actually goes beyond just our singing. You see, worship is all about giving worth to something. And singing can be worship because every time we believe God's word, every time we honor him first, it's an act of worship. So when we come together and sing, for some of us, it's an act of worship because we're putting God first. For some, maybe our attitude isn't quite what it should be. And so we might be singing but not worshipping because we're not putting God first in what we do. But if we put God first, then whatever we do is an act of worship. Dan spoke before about the tithe, right? And I 100% agree with everything that he said. And to that, I want to add, when our money is given, when our tithe is brought with the right attitude, it's an act of worship. When we come to church, 
It's actually an act of worship. Why? Because we're saying, no, this is important to us. I've got the right attitude, the right spirit. I want to be in the house of God. And so therefore, by coming, just coming to church, it's an act of worship. Taking communion is an act of worship. If we do it with the right spirit. Oh, we've just got this little cup and this wafer thing again. Not worship. But, oh, God, Jesus, what you did for me. I want to put you first in my life. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. Ah, act of worship. And I'm here today to tell you that our work can also be an act of worship. When we approach our work as God himself tells us to approach our work, it becomes an act of worship. You know, serving in the church is an act of worship if we bring the right attitude to it. In Colossians 3, verses 23 to 24, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. See, when we bring that attitude into our workplaces, it's no longer about the here and now. It's no longer about the physical. It's no longer about, oh, those people. It's about Jesus. It's about coming before God and going, oh, you've given me everything, God. And so I'm going to work as if to you. I'm going to bring my offerings back to you. And I'm going to use my work to praise you. You know what? Where I think that we've gone wrong is that work is an act of worship, but work is not to be worshipped. And I think that at times, in multiple areas of our life, we can turn a good thing, we can turn a godly thing into an idol. Because my work is meant to be an act of worship to Jesus. But if I turn my worship towards my work, then work becomes my idol. And the same thing can happen in many parts of our lives. You know, this is not a new problem. Across the centuries, humanity has always looked at things rather than God to worship. Romans 1 says exactly that that we exchanged the worship of the Creator to worship of created things. And so at times, do we need to be careful with our work that it doesn't come, turn into an idol? Absolutely, we need to. But at the same time, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater because work itself isn't evil. Work itself is God's idea. And so when we get to the pattern that God has for our work, when we use work as a form of worship, then we're in the will of God. So how do we actually then stop work from potentially becoming an idol? And to that I would say we need to apply the whole counsel of God's scripture. We can't just take the bit that we like, although if I'm talking on work, probably many of you are here going, I don't like it. That's okay. 
But we take the whole counsel of God's scripture and we apply the whole thing, not just part of it. You see, the pattern of scripture is that work is God's idea, but beyond that, so is Sabbath. You see, God, in his infinite wisdom, said work is godly. But don't work for seven days a week. That's silly. Sabbath, on the seventh day, have a rest day. On the seventh day, gather with the people of God. And so as we apply the whole counsel of God's word, we'll get work in its right place and we'll be able to follow the pattern of Scripture. Work, as much as I don't want to say this, work is for our good. I would much rather that God created it so that we could all sit by the lake relaxing together. He didn't. Because he knew that we need something more. See, work is for our good. See, I love coming to church. I love being able to gather together. I love the fellowship that we have. I love the fun that we have together. I love the teaching that we receive. I love learning. But do you know where all of that gets applied? Most of the application of what we hear on a Sunday, yes, gets applied at church, but most of it gets applied at work. Most of the time, everything that we talk about needs to find a practical space. And that practical space occurs in our workplace. Proverbs 27, verse 17, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I know that much friction happens in workplaces. I know that that friction that happens in workplaces can either make you sharper or make you duller, and the choice is yours. You see, work is meant to be there for our good. And so, therefore, it gives us that space where when we stand as Christians, when we stand going, no, no, God, you've made this for us. We're going to find some opposition at times. And if we allow that opposition to help us, then it's for our good. You see... In Galatians 5, 22, verse 20, sorry, verse 5, let me start that one again. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Who finds it easier to show the fruit of the Spirit at church than at work? You see, patience is actually pretty easy at church. Joy is pretty easy at church. Love is pretty easy at church. Gentleness, kind, yep. At church, that's generally pretty cool. How about at work? How's your patience at work? How's your love at work? Joy? Kindness? Gentleness, self-control. You see, 
the fruit of the Spirit is grown, not downloaded. In fact, I think it's a really dangerous prayer when we pray, I want more fruit. I want to be fruitful. Because God doesn't download the patience bundle to us. He doesn't download the love bundle, the joy bundle to us. It's not like an upgrade from the app store. When we start praying, God, I want to be more fruitful, he brings upon our circumstances situations where we need to exhibit those things. God, I prayed for patience and all you did was send me this annoying person. Yes, that's exactly right. Because what I'm helping you do is grow patience because I can't just download it to you. God, I want to be more loving. And all you did was send me this person. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I find that happens more often in my workplace than anywhere else. You see, our work is for our good because it's where we get to work out our salvation. It's where we get to show what we truly believe and not just smile nicely. You know, work is for our good because it provides structure. Recently, as I said, I was on holidays. And like many of you, I would like to think I'm a diligent person. But then when holidays come, I find out how diligent I really am. See, I find for me that work helps provide that structure because I have to be up at a certain time. And when I'm on holidays, I don't have to be up at a certain time. And so usually I'm not. But work helps provide some structure because the routine of work helps me make sure that I fit everything else in. When I'm working, I find that I can get everything in my day done, mostly. When I'm on holidays, I might have five things on my list and I might think about them. <laughs> might. Right, but work helps provide the structure for me to be productive. Proverbs 13 verse 4, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Do you want to be richly supplied? I want my soul to be richly supplied. So therefore I need to be diligent with what God has given me and what God has called me to, and that includes our work. Work is for our good because it also gives us purpose. Now, can I say from the outset, we should always find our purpose in God. But often work gives our secondary purpose for our lives. And when I was growing up in Pinaru on the farm, my grandfather had a farm about six kilometers away. Towards the end of his farming career, it was almost comical. It was amazing that he actually lived. Because my grandfather decided that he was going to farm into his mid to late 70s. And so as his body was getting frailer, he was still trying to do the things that he was doing when he was much younger. And it didn't often work. And so as a family, we sat grandpa down many times and we said, no, no, this is not good. You're actually going to hurt yourself. 
And his response to us was always the same. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I have watched too many of my peers give up farming and die within a year because work gave them a sense of purpose. And he was adamant, I'm going to live a long life. And he lived a long life through working a long time because it helped give him purpose. Now, please, I'm not saying it was the smartest thing to do. And I'm certainly not advocating some of the things that he did. And yet for him, he knew what he needed. And he knew that work was part of the equation that was going to keep him alive longer. You see, work is not only for our good, but work is also for the good of others. As Christians, as I said before, we carry the Spirit of God with us. So when we walk into our workplaces, it should get better just because we are there. Just because the presence of God entered the workplace with us. And so therefore, it should be good for others. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, can I encourage us today? At your workplace, lift the bowl. You see, the scripture says that we don't put a light under a bowl, but I think we do. I think some of the times in our workplaces, it's easier not to. It's easier not to be like Christ. It's easier not to shine. And so I think in our workplaces, we put the bowl on. And I'm here to say today, guys, it shouldn't be. Let's lift the bowl in our workplaces. Let's recognize that because of God living in us, it's for the benefit of others. Let's let our light shine at work. You know what? In our workplaces, it's for the good of others. It should be for the good of our boss. See, I think in Australian culture doesn't help us here. Right? I think that we're too often found in lunchrooms whinging about the boss, complaining about the boss. But our work should be for the good of our boss. Proverbs 10.26, as vinegar to the teeth, and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. If you want to frustrate your boss, be like vinegar on his teeth. Be like smoke in their eyes. And things won't go well for you. But if work is for the good of others and we make it for the good of our boss, if we stop causing irritation with our boss, every time we walk in the room, if the eye roll doesn't happen there, that's a good day. If our boss is winning, we're winning. And so let's make our work for the good of our boss. Our work is also for the good of our colleagues. You see... Those that we work most closely with should be able to see your light even brighter. 
And so therefore, just because we're there, if we lift that bowl, then those that we're working with should be able to see Christ radiating from what we do. It's for the good of our boss, but it's also for the good of our colleagues. You see, when we operate in godly patterns, our influence grows. When we don't gossip in the workplace, we prove ourselves to be trustworthy. When we don't take things or take liberties, we prove ourselves to be trustworthy. When we choose to work out of security rather than insecurity, then our colleagues will be blessed. Finally this morning, as the band comes, it's also there, or we're also at work for the good of our clients. Jesus showed dignity and compassion for those that came to him. We should be able to do the same. It doesn't take much. A little bit of kindness, some respect, some honouring your word. Do what you say you do. Do it in a timely fashion. It's for the good of our clients. And we prove ourselves to be trustworthy. In conclusion this morning, the word sluggard is used 14 times in the Bible. 14. All of them in Proverbs. It is not used outside of Proverbs. It's also never used in a positive sense. Ah, oh, you little sluggard! <laughs> 14 times, always negatively. Can I encourage us today? Let's get smart. Let's embrace the purposes that God has for our work. Let's shine our light in our workplace. And let's not be sluggards. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are wiser than we are, that you understand us better than we understand ourselves. And Father, where we go, you know what? I don't get this whole work thing. Help us to relax in your arms. Help us to relax in your knowledge that work was your idea. Father, as we struggle, as we grapple, as we wrestle with the purpose of our work, Father, I pray for each of us this morning. Won't you bring a peace? Won't you bring a settledness? Won't you bring a calmness about our work? And in that, Lord, Father, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you at your word that you will look after us that you will grow us and that you will bless others through our work. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.